Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. We are doing something a little bit different. Um, I've got some good friends here with me, Josh and Selena Brown. I've known them for about a decade now. When you start trying to think, like, how long have you known somebody? It's really hard to pinpoint it. Um, I've known them for about a decade, and Josh and Selena um, feel God calling them into full-time international missions. They live here in Mount Juliet, uh, family here, normal jobs, and over the past couple of years, really, I think they have especially been praying, but I've had the Josh and I have gotten to meet together a lot and study the Bible together, the same method that we use here on Sunday mornings uh, for several years. His work schedule changed about a year ago, and so we haven't met as regularly the past year. Um, but we've studied several books of the Bible together, and this is something they've been praying through. And they're scheduled uh, this October to head to Rome, Italy, as missionaries and church planters. They have partnered with a, a local church that exists there to, to kind of land there and for that to be their home base and then prayerfully to plant other churches um, throughout Rome and hopefully throughout Italy over time. And so I really wanted you to get to meet them this morning just for the sake of us seeing what God's doing even locally here in Mount Juliet, raising up, calling out people to the ends of the earth still today to make disciples. And then also for us to be able to know them, support them, pray for them, uh, to, for this to be the, hopefully the beginning of a relationship where we're able to partner with them and, and, and pray with and for them uh, throughout this journey. And so we're going to jump in in just a second. I want them to share their story, just tell you kind of how God has worked in their lives to get them to this point. And then Josh is going to take um, a few sections of the book of Acts. When we were w- walking through Acts last year, I didn't really know that this is exactly what had gone on, but Josh was watching every week online, and there were several times when I think God said some really direct things to them that you were saying in here, that you had no idea they were hearing, and God was talking to them and, and had really used to just affirm and confirm his call in their lives. So I want you to get to hear that. And, and so he's going to walk us through that, and we'll, do, we'll study those sections the way we always do on a Sunday morning, um, and he'll lead us in that time. And it, it really fits with the series we've been doing with the whole teaching team. You know, each of the guys, I'd ask them to pick a section of Scripture that had been really spiritually significant um, or powerful in their lives. And so it's the same thing for them this morning, like something that God has really used in their lives. And while I'm on those lines, I just want to say thanks to Keith uh, for Genesis 15 last week. I'm so thankful that he took us to Genesis 15 um, and, and that God spoke through him the way he did. Uh, it was a great morning for me just to hear those truths again. And he mentioned the Good Friday service. If you have never been to our Good Friday service, I hope you'll come this year. It's one of my favorite services of the year, every year anyway. I mean, it's just a really good night of worship as we focus on the cross and the death of Jesus and what he has done for us because of the love of God. But what we're going to do this year, um, I'm going to take each of the five passages that our guys from the teaching team have been doing and we're going to connect all five of them to the cross. Like that's what we're going to walk. We're going to do a song of worship, a text, a song, a text. And we're just going to pull one quick truth out of each one. Like, see that the cross is the fulfillment of this whole thing. See that everything in the Bible, one big continuous story, connects here to Jesus and his death and his resurrection. So I hope that you'll come that night. Um, just both to worship with us and focus our hearts and minds on what Jesus did for us and also to kind of see that connection. And so we're going to let Josh and Selena do that with us as well this morning as they show us what God was saying to them in Acts 8, Acts 11, Acts 13 as we were walking through it over a year ago. 
So I'm going to pray for us right now, and then I'm going to let them do the rest of the talking. That was enough for me. So will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time right now. I thank you for Josh and Selena, for your work in their lives. I thank you for the, the privilege that has been for me and the encouragement just to watch um, as they are seeking you and hearing from you the ways you've spoken to them and led them and opened doors and, and just moved their hearts in the direction of where you want them to be. And, and I'm so grateful that they're here today and that this moment exists because of what you've already been doing. And so I ask, Father, that, that you will speak to us as a church, that you will teach us and encourage us from their story, from your work in their lives, and also from your word again this morning, that you would speak and teach us by your spirit from your word as only you can. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, guys, I'm going to get quiet, so you go. Yeah, so I, I just want to start out and say um, thank you for having us. Thank you for letting us come and, and share a little bit about us and our story. And again, like Andy said, we've kind of been watching from a distance a little bit for a couple years now. And, and even without you guys being aware at all, this church has poured into us in ways that, that you know most of you probably don't know or haven't realized. And we have grown spiritually and in our faith and in our trust um, in what God has called us to do, you know, indirectly and directly from uh, your faithfulness and your teaching and your study of the word. And so, and we expect that to continue in a way in terms of, you know, many of you may never even be in Rome, may, may never see us, but even giving us the chance to come and, and share with you and knowing that you're going to be praying for us, you're going to be lifting us up to the Lord as we step into kind of what he's called us to overseas in Italy. Um, it means a lot to us. And so we just thank you for the blessing and the privilege to be here and to get to worship with you and study the word with you and just grow in our knowledge and our love for Jesus Christ. And so thanks for that. Um, do you want to start with our story? Okay. Um, so we'll have to rewind a little bit because our story goes back several years. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll really try to keep it brief as much as possible. But I'm going to rewind to kind of when we first got married and we were entering into this new season of life together and, and trying to figure out, okay, what does marriage look like for a young couple? What does a godly marriage look like? And, and I guess to sum it up, we were cultural Sunday Christians who wore that label, um, participated in a lot of probably religious ritual and activity, um, but had a marriage and really just an overall life that was really built on selfishness and living for things that we wanted, we desired, um, you know, things that, that, you know, our world and our culture kind of teases you with and throws at you and, and says, okay, this is what life's about. This is what's going to fulfill you. This is what, you know, you should chase after. And so we kind of did that for uh, five, six years of marriage. Um, and it's probably about 2017 when God grabbed hold of both of us and, and in his grace kind of did that in unison and, and together and started turning our hearts and turning our, our, our minds and our convictions towards him and just convicting us that we were claiming and, and, you know, wore this Christian label but had no desire to surrender our lives to him, no desire to have the heart he had um, for his word, for making disciples, uh, for taking the hope and the light of the gospel to people that were living in darkness uh, both here and, and abroad. And so um, a lot of dominoes fell um, in terms of some ways he kind of brought us into that. I want to 
let you share a little bit about that if you want, just some of the ministries we were able to get involved in and the mission trips and stuff like that. So at the time, uh, we didn't have an outlet at the current church that we were at to be missional outside the walls. And so with that, we did a lot of Googling um, of like, how can we serve our community um, internationally, um, but also Mercy Ministries, right? So uh, we started at, um, we were going to the mission, so women and men in addiction. So we started there. Um, They gave us a lot of chances to serve and get to know those folks there. And man, it just kept opening our hearts. Um, And then we were able to get involved in a um, refugee ministry um, with with some actually ladies that are here um, with that we know that they gave us some contacts and we got to participate in that. And um, from there, we were going on international mission trips. And (laughs) Josh actually um, wanted to sell everything and move after one of the trips. And I was like, (laughs) you haven't been on a mission trip without your friends. Like, of course you love it. It's your buddies. Um, J.D. Thompson. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, of course you want to sell everything and move in with them. They're great. Um, But so I actually challenged him. um, This is kind of the start of the international missions journey was I want to go on a trip where we don't know anyone. I want to go somewhere um, without a single soul that we know besides each other. And so I was on a trip in Canada uh, that he didn't get to go on for a mission trip. And he found a place to go that we would not know anyone. Um, and so that, so that um, Christmas, that Christmas we had went to um, on an international trip. Um, we ended up going there multiple years after that year. But um, we had a lot of hard things. Ha- I had a lot of hard things happen while I was there. Um, my sister got in a really bad car wreck. Uh, they had to like air flight her. It was just, it was a very terrible situation while I'm on the field, right? And it was the devil working through all that. But in the midst of all of those things, uh, the people of God showed up on that trip. These people I didn't know were like, we'll figure out how to get you home. We'll pray for you. Um, it makes me tear up thinking about it because just the people of God are so great. Um, so after that trip, we came home uh, and we talked a few times and Josh came in and he said, when are you the happiest? And without any you know, urging or anything from him, I was like, when we're on the field, like when we are actually only focused on God's work, we're not focused on, um, we're not focused on ourselves, <laughs> we're not focused on our jobs, and um, we're really focused on, on people, um, it, it made us happy, and sharing the gospel, like that makes me happy, that gives me joy, um, and so from then on, COVID happened, do you want to pick it up at COVID, because that's when we started seminary? Yeah, and, and, the highlight a little bit of that throughout this season of like probably 2016 to 2019, it was just these little steps. It was, okay, God gave us the chance to, to work with refugees or God gave us the chance to serve downtown with uh, recovering um, people in recovery and, and ministries for the homeless and feeding. And in every scenario, God was just saying, hey, just trust me with this one step. Don't worry about what's five years down the road. Don't worry about what's 10 years down the road. Just, just take this one step of faithfulness. And by his grace, we did that. And every time he met us, and he met us, he provided, he gave us joy and purpose and fulfillment and direction. And then he, he would call us to take another step, right? And so that kind of went on for these several years, and there was these, these different examples of that. Um, and then, yeah, we pick it up in 2019, and we were involved in, in kind of pretty consistently traveling 
overseas uh, to different missions, trips, and locations. And I'd gotten back from a trip in Uganda, uh, in Africa, and and yeah, I just kind of felt this. Um, well, yeah, I just felt God was saying, okay, like it's time for that next step. Um, and we knew. And we had an eight-week-old. Yeah, we had an eight-week-old. Um, <laughs> My advice, dads, maybe do or do not go to Africa when your wife has an eight-week-old. So, <laughs> and uh, it was your first, too, yeah, right? It was our first, I just yeah. put it up there. Though. It worked out. Yeah, God was good. Um, but at, at that point, we, like, we knew there was something Hang on. bigger. So what did you do when the second one was born? Just go ahead and tell them the truth. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, when our second one was... Eight weeks old. Eight weeks old, <laughs> I, I ended up in Rome. Yeah, yeah. It's a habit. That's why we're not having a third. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's good. I'm glad you're on me. I'd forgotten that. So, I had not. So mid, mid 2019, summer 2019, we, we were, we were really wrestling and we knew that God was, God had something more and we were trying to wrestle and pray through that. And, and it didn't take long. I think again, of us dialoguing and praying and, and just trying to, to discern and submit ourselves to what he would do where we knew what that more was. Um, and so at that point, we kind of sort of started entertaining the idea of what a, a life kind of stepping away from our jobs and stepping away from our home and, and things in America would look like. Um, but even then, there was some resistance and there was just disobedience, if I'm being honest, of me, me making excuses of why this doesn't make sense right now, why I can't you know, go to school and get some seminary and why we, you know, we had just bought our house like two months before this, maybe right when I got back from Africa. And so um, there was just all these reasons why, okay, this is not a good time. Like it just doesn't make sense to do this. Um, and so kind of stayed in that disobedience for several months, maybe a year. Uh, and then COVID just happened. And, and I, you know, personally view COVID in our lives as like God saying, all right, like you don't have any more excuses. Um, like I've stripped away your ability to do certain things. I've stripped away your ability to go overseas. I've stripped away your ability, uh, to, to, to dedicate certain times to certain things, dedicate yourself to what I'm telling you to do. And that's what we did. So we started, uh, we started kind of really fully pursuing this, uh, April of 2020. And that involved us getting involved with, a uh, a Southern Baptist organization that sends, uh, people overseas for long-term mission work. And since 2020, I mean, now we're well, almost three years removed, we've been in this very long, slow, tedious process, um, which I, I, I look back and think, okay, God has been shaping and molding and stripping away even more. Like we've shared with Andy, like um, there are a lot of things that we hold so tightly to even now um, in, in this world and this culture and in this just kind of climate we live in. Um, you know, material things and jobs and securities and comforts. And um, I mean, and we held them tighter, as tight as anyone. You know, we probably tighter than most people. Uh, and through that three years, God has just stripped all of that and loosened our grip and said, you know, I have you. Um, you can walk away from these things. They're not what you think they are anyway, truthfully. And so, yeah, he's, he's got us to the point now where we are ready to go and wouldn't change a thing. Um, and so that's a little bit of our story. Yeah. And if there's one thing, I guess I would, I would like to 
to probably take away is, is one, again, it's God was not telling us to go overseas five years ago. God was telling us to be faithful in what I've given you to do here. He was telling us to be faithful in loving our neighbor, in making disciples, in loving and pursuing me. Um, and the first step of that, yeah, was something small downtown Nashville. And then the next step was, was refugees. And, and for the last couple of years, we've been ministering to international students at Cumberland University in Lebanon um, and, and studying the word with them, texting through scripture. And so, you know, I th- and I think that's so common if you look at scripture that God gives his people a step of obedience. And as they trust him and they follow him, he guides them, he goes with them. And he gives them another step and another step and another step. Um, and so I hope you can kind of hear that in our story. And also, too, that, that the, the, the opportunity and the calling to be faithful in making disciples and even reaching the nations doesn't require you to get on a plane. Um, there's refugees. There's international students. There, there's so many opportunities to share the gospel with people that literally have never heard it, literally have never heard the name Jesus. And some of them live within 15 miles of here. You know, and so there's so much of, of that, that in our story and, and our uh, journey that, that I think, I hope, you know, people can take away from that. And, and Lord willing, maybe he does call you overseas. But if not, you know, we're all called to the Great Commission to make disciples when, wherever he has placed us. Yeah. Go ahead. And I was going to say, a lot of people ask us why Rome. Um, which is a great question. Um, but I would not have told you we were going to Rome three years ago. We were thinking Africa, with, pro- Japan, probably the places you guys think of too, right? Um, a lot of people don't think of Europe. Um, but we actually got a chance, our, church part- our current church partners with Rome. Um, and so we got to learn a lot about Catholicism during just this, these last three years. Um, and then most recently, the last year and a half, we got to go see, uh, we got to go see Rome, and the darkness that's there, and don't come visit us wanting a historical beauty, (laughs) um, because it's really hard for us to see it, Um, they all look, like all the monuments in Rome look like spiritual oppression to us, so. Yeah, we'll very much rain on your parade. Yeah, don't, (laughs) if you you want to see the Colosseum and think of anything good, don't, don't, um, but we went to this place called, it's, Scala Santa, and it was, um, they're called the Holy Steps, and there's a long story, but supposedly they're the same steps that uh, Pontius Pilate um, condemned Jesus on. And so there's this visual when you go in, and it's these folks just trying to climb their way up um, to God, and that's not the picture. Um, The picture is that God comes down to us. There's nothing that we can do, and it was in that moment I was like, I don't want to be here. Um, so I'm like, this is probably where the Lord's calling us to be because it was the hardest day of my life um, is sitting there seeing people think they know Jesus, climbing up these steps, wanting to shorten their time in, in purgatory and, um, or their spouses or their friends' time in purgatory that I just, people don't think about Catholicism when they think of the lost and that broke my heart for those people. And so after that too, we were just full on and full on Rome, and the Lord kept affirming that for us in the next, in the last year and a half too, that that's where in this season he's calling us. And just to 
connect a couple pieces of your story for them. It was, was it two years ago that God brought the missionaries from Rome here that you all ended up getting to host, and that was part of your connection? Yeah, let me go into that a little bit detail, too, because even, yeah, even to Selena's point and Andy's point, how we ended up where we're going is looking back now, it's just God is so there and involved, and his hand was guiding and directing. So, yeah, um, throughout COVID, um, you know, we, we had, had, had wrestled with and made a decision that we, we had transitioned to a new local church home um, as part of this whole story, and, and without going into a ton of detail, we felt for us to be fully obedient and surrendered to God's calling, um, that change was kind of necessary. So throughout COVID, we had, we had ended up fi- founding a new church home, and the second week we were at this new church home, the pastor from Rome was there. Um, okay. He had come in just to speak and kind of that partnership. And so, and again, we had all, at that point knew what God was telling us, what guiding us in. We were trying to discern and figure out, okay, what's this look like? Where do we go? Et cetera, et cetera. And again, we had never even considered Rome. And even whenever we visited with him and had that conversation, most of my um, objective was to gain intel of like, how do I get to the field? I don't necessarily want to go to Rome, but like, how can you help me get prepared and get to the field and that kind of thing? And so um, that happened about six weeks later, another pastor from Rome uh, came and we met him and then uh, we actually hosted him and he stayed with us for about a week. Um, And shortly after that, our, our local church asked us if we would just they knew our hearts for missions, and I think they were just looking to fill a role. They asked if we would spearhead that partnership and just, okay, you guys kind of be the leaders of taking teams over and, and managing that relationship. And it's like, yeah, of course, we'd love to do that. And so that involved us getting to go over there a couple times and partner with uh, the local church there in the city. And, and like Selena said, just see the reality of that city. And, and I guess the way I would describe it, it's a city abounding in religious practice, but it is completely void of the gospel. It's no light at all. Yeah, I've had a little bit of connection with Italy too, and just to give you all maybe an idea of what they're talking about, I guess it's, it's been 14 years ago I went on a short-term trip to Italy. We were working with a church planting group over there, and at that time the number they gave me is that in Italy you've got 0.4% not 4%, 0.4% of the country that's evangelical Christian. You know, a lot of people would say they're Catholic by name, but when we say, do they really believe the gospel Selena's talking about, this gospel of grace, the message that we hear of God coming down in Jesus, and it's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that secures the grace of God for us and saves us, 0.4% of the people there believe that. So it is a very unreached area of the world. Um, and the area we were in, was just outside of Venice. And so if you think of Nashville as Venice, like really, really large city, and then Murfreesboro, which is a pretty big city, you know, about that distance away. The the town we were in was about the size of Murfreesboro, that distance from Venice, and they had planted one church in that city, and it had 20 believers in it. And as far as they knew, those were the only believers in the whole city. that's, That's kind of the level of unreachedness we're talking about right now. Yeah, Rome specifically, um, it's just under 4 million people. It's like 3.9 million people. There is probably, and I'm, I'm roughly estimating, there's probably less than 500 Christians in the city of Rome. 
So whatever that percentage is, but it's certainly less than 1%. Um, and yeah, and, and that's the, the loss. And again, it's, I think for us, what's even more maybe heartbreaking, you know, alluding to Selena's story and, and um, convicting and challenging for us is it's, it's not just that they don't know the gospel and they don't, you know, they probably never even heard the true hope that we have in Christ and a hope that is completely God's grace and love and pursuing of us as opposed to our climbing to him. Um, but they think they do. Like they think they know this real Jesus and the Jesus of scripture under the facade of a, a, a faith by works, right? A, a Galatians 1, we, we use Galatians 1 a lot, right? Paul's talking in Galatians uh, to the church of, you know, how can you have abandoned the gospel and made it Jesus plus circumcision, right? Well, that's what Rome is. It's Jesus plus my charity. It's Jesus plus my good deeds. It's Jesus plus the sacramental system. And Jesus alone, by faith alone, doesn't exist. And so we have to go, or, you know, in the power of God, we, we want to try to breach that. So I want us to jump into Acts here in just a second. I'll try to save the rest of my questions. I want to give you all a chance real quickly right here. <clears throat> if there's questions you want to ask specifically about their story, God's call to missions, let's do that. But one thing I want to just, what are your jobs right now? Just so they know. I am an IT project manager. Uh, I'm an IT project management strategist. So basically the same thing. So I just wanted you to know, like, Give normal title. in this world, secular jobs. Yeah. Like, um, normal people, normal jobs that live in a normal house in Mount Juliet with two kids and four grandparents that are real, real uh, emotional right now about this decision. It's one of the things that Josh... He, and he's probably going to highlight it in Acts, but just this picture of God taking his people who are normal people with normal lives, but by his spirit and his grace, accomplishing his mission in the world. Um, so do you, is there a question that's burning right now just in your mind that you want to ask them about their story, and then we'll jump into Acts for the rest of our time? <clears throat> I'll just give a detail. We have a four-year-old and a one-year-old, so I don't okay. know if that spawns questions about family dynamic or anything like that. And obviously you can ask more after we get into Acts, but I just... All right. Um, if you've got your Bible or your device and you want to... I'm going to have this on the screen. I'll flip along as Josh reads. But if you want to follow, we're going to start in Acts 8, and then he'll kind of direct you to where we are each step of the way, the first four verses of Acts 8. Um, and you take it and run with it, Josh, however, however you feel led here. You would, before we jump in, I just want to pray. Yeah, absolutely. Lord God, Father, um, we love you. We just praise you and thank you for your grace this morning. Um, Lord, your mercy. Lord, I just thank you for the grace of your word. Lord, that you've revealed yourself to us. You've come down to us um, in love and in grace, Lord, to show us who you are. And Lord, so as we come before you, I just ask that you open up our hearts to you, Lord. You work by your spirit in us and through us, Lord, to show us yourself, um, to show us your, your nature, your character. Um, 
what you would call us into and have for us this morning, Lord. We depend on you for this. Um, Lord, we're blind without you. We're dead without you. So bring us to life. Um, open our hearts up to this and open your word up to us um, and help us respond to it, Lord, as we should. Let us love and adore and treasure you above all things. And we thank you for the gospel, for Christ, uh, and for what he has done for us. In your name, amen. So yeah, I want to read, it's going to be three separate passages. Uh, we're going to look at Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, um, Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 26, I believe, and then Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. And I know that might seem like, okay, we're jumping around a little bit, um, but what you'll see as we read through this is this is one story. This is one continuous story that Luke gives us. And in between, he kind of fills in the gaps with some, some side stories. So like chapters 8, 9, and 10, you see uh, Philip and the Ethiopian, you see Saul's conversion, you see you know, Peter and Cornelius and kind of God revealing kind of his mission for the Gentiles through that experience. And then chapter 12 is um, Peter escaping from prison in the miraculous way. He just kind of gets out of the bars, right, with the angel. And so, but in between there, between 8, 11, and 13, you actually just have this one continued story. It's like he finishes 8 verse 4 and it's like dot, dot, dot. Right, and he picks it up in 11, dot, 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 and then I think he picks it up again in 13. So uh, I'll read each of those passages, and then kind of just like traditional Sunday morning, I want to hear kind of what God is speaking. Traditional Sunday morning here. Yeah, traditional Sunday morning here. Not, yeah, um, untraditional Sunday morning for most people, yeah. I want to hear what God is speaking to, to all of us, right, in, in the body. So I want to ask you guys. So let me read, picking up in chapter 8, verse 1. <clears throat> And Saul approved of their killing of him, so being Stephen. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women, and he put them in prison. And those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And I'm going to pick up in 11, verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And then 13 verses 1 to 3. <clears throat> 
Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands upon them and sent them off. Okay, so you guys know the drill. <laughs> what do you, uh, what, what is God showing you and what do you see from our text about who God is? Again, so what does this teach us about God, who he is, his love, his work, um, his, his call, his mission, and then uh, we'll talk about what do we see about us as, as his uh, creation, as man, his children specifically too, and then how do we respond to that? Where do you see that at? The whole thing. That's right. Yeah, God uses ordinary people to spread the gospel. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you, you, one thing that stands out to me in chapter 11, it talks about as the persecution was scattered right there in verses kind of 19 and 20. Um, and it talks about the men who were going out to spread the gospel uh, not only to the Jews, but then ultimately as well beyond the Jews to the Gentiles. And it never names them. We don't know who any of these people are. And, and you know, if I were to put Selena and myself into this story somehow, like I assure you we're the people that don't get named. We're average, everyday, corporate, you know, people, just followers of Jesus Christ. Um, I'm not a pastor never led a church. Uh, I just started seminary a couple years ago, so that's my first real kind of exposure to theological training in any real way. Um, but God, in his goodness and faithfulness, said, no, I, I'm going to use you. And, and for us, the thing that, that has really landed on me is, is that's because it's not about anything I bring to the table. It's about who he is. His goodness, His faithfulness, His power, His strength, His wisdom. And if there's anything that we stand on and, and, and put our hope and our trust in, it, it's not our abilities, it's not, you know, again, what we bring to the table, our equipping, but it is purely the, the person and work of Jesus Christ in and through us, because that's all that matters. At the end of the day, that is the only thing that we need and that we should be standing on. So I think that's great. Yeah, and what, what Darren and Josh are pointing you to in this text, <clears throat> make sure you realize historically, this is the very first time in the history of the world that the message of Jesus is breaking outside of the Jews. You know, like, like Jesus gives this, this mission, make disciples of all nations, go to the ends of the earth and be my witnesses. And it's not happening until Acts chapter 11. I mean, it's happening in Jerusalem among the Jews. But the very first time that the church is really like full throttle doing what Jesus says, this is the whole plan of God for all of history. It's why Jesus came, why he died, why he was resurrected, why he sends the Spirit, why he starts the church. And it happens right here. Some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, we don't even get their names. 
Right? Like, and this is it. Like, this is everything that's supposed to happen in the plan of God. And, and what, where Josh started up here, what's so cool is when the church gets blown up by the, the murder of Stephen and the persecution, all except the apostles were scattered, like driven out of Jerusalem. So all your big names, like your, your big guns, Peter, James, John, all those kind of people, they're still in Jerusalem. When this thing happens the way that Jesus intends, is everybody except them. Like this idea that, that your hired people, your trained professionals are the ones to do this, that's not how God's done it. It's unnamed, nameless followers of Jesus that God uses persecution to drive them all over the world. And then it's exactly what he said earlier. They're just faithful. Look, wherever we go, those who have been scattered preach the word wherever they went. That was it. Like we, wherever we are, we know why God has us here. This step, this step, this step to make Jesus known, to make disciples, to share the gospel as a great truth to start with. Run with the rest of them. Yeah, I, I want to, in light of that, I want. I, I did a little bit of research last night, and so I, I like to nerd out on s- certain things, and so <laughs> I tried to kind of trace the story of the gospel from Antioch to friendship to Nashville, oh, right? Cool. And so I want to highlight, and I'll go through this kind of quickly, but I want to highlight maybe some, like, uh, notable events in history. So... Acts chapter 13, right, Paul, Barnabas, and Mark ultimately leave Antioch for Cyrus, which is kind of in modern-day Turkey. That's probably roughly 50 A.D., right? 51 A.D., Paul takes a missionary journey to multiple Greek cities. We have that in Scripture. 52 A.D., the apostle Thomas takes the gospel to India. 60 A.D., Paul arrives in Rome and begins evangelizing to thousands throughout the Roman Empire. 174 A.D., First Christians are reported in Austria, and the gospel is moving into Eastern Europe. 280 AD, the first rural churches are planted in northern Italy, which makes the gospel no longer only an urban base. 350 AD, 31.7 million Romans have professed faith in Christ, which is over 50% of the Roman Empire. 432 AD, Patrick goes to Ireland, taking the gospel to the island of the United Kingdom for the first time. 596 AD, Gregory the Great sends Augustine and other missionaries to what is now England, uh, and there are about 10,000 converts within uh, the first few years. We'll take a big jump. 1501 AD, Pope Alexander VI grants to Spain all newly discovered countries in the Americas, only on the condition that provisions are made for religious conversion to Christianity. 1537 A.D., Pope Paul III orders that the natives of this new world be brought to Christ specifically by the preaching of God's word and the example of a life following Christ. 1630 A.D., in El Paso, uh, in the El Paso area, an effort is formed to pursue an outreach among the Mesos Indians. 1671 A.D., Quaker missionaries arrive in the Carolinas. 1722 A.D., the Watuaga River Church, which was later Sinking Creek Baptist Church, is formed, becoming the first recorded gathering of Christian church in Tennessee. 745 A.D., David Brainerd and John Marietta start missionaries across cultures to North American Indians in the eastern region of the United States. 1795 A.D., Mill Creek Baptist Church is organized as one of the earliest churches in the Nashville area. July 1820 A.D., the first Baptist church of Nashville is planted with 35 members out of the Mill Creek Church. Uh, And then 
1845 AD, you know, the Southern Baptist Convention creates missions organizations that are founded with the purpose of spreading the gospel to all peoples, both home and abroad. And then roughly 2006, 2007, uh, Friendship Church, I believe, is planted with about 35 people, Andy was telling me, um, out of First Baptist Old Hickory. Is that right? So, what, and what stands out is other than a few of the apostles' names at the very beginning of that story, we don't know any of the people that did that work. It was faithful, normal, no-name Christians that were willing to follow where the Lord was taking them and to preach the gospel wherever they were going. And that's where we are now in this story, right? And so now we hold that mantle and that mission to preach the gospel and to be faithful as the people of God, wherever and, and, and wherever he would put us. Sorry, yeah, so what else? I was going to ask it for you if you needed me to. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. What else? <laughs> what other? Mm-hmm. Where would you? Where would you? Yeah. Where would you see that at? Yeah, in chapter 11, verse 20, or verse, yeah, 19 and 20. Yeah, and I, I think, I mean, that's, that's huge. I mean, that's, that's the center of why we're doing what we're doing, right? That in the history of Scripture, right, you go back to Genesis, Genesis 3, 15, right? God gives the promise that, there will be a Savior and a Messiah who has come to crush the head of the serpent and to bring hope and redemption and rescue to all people, to all the families of the earth. And then that just continues throughout Abraham and the promises and the covenant, um, the covenant established with Israel to be a light to the nations, right? And you see that all throughout the history of Israel into what we get to today where this multi-thousand-year promise is finding its fulfillment in the very pages we're looking at. Um, and yeah, and I know that drives us, right? That, that God is a God who loves and offers hope and light without distinction. It is exclusive by faith, but it's to all who would come by faith. Um, and again, the reality that we live in, and we've just, you know, in, in our journey, we've got to hear a lot of statistics and metrics, but... Um, you know, we live in a world of almost 8 billion people, and roughly half of them have never heard this message. They're in completely unreached places. Um, and again, many of those unreached places and peoples through uh, refugee resettlement or coming abroad for studies, many of them are now coming to us as well. Um, and so just the, the conviction in the heart of God that all people would know him. And, and experience this redemption, this love and grace, and we have the hope and the light and the message to give them, um, just like the apostles do, right? It's great. Anything to add? Yeah, no. Okay. <clears throat> what else do you see?
Yeah, that's good. Um, that stood out to me as well. One thing, you know, a couple things. Yeah, what you're saying, I think it was in chapter 11, if you have specific, yeah, it's chapter 11, verse 23, right? When he arrived and he saw what the grace of God had done, this is his work. It's his doing. It's his power and strength and even faithfulness. It's his faithfulness that drives our faithfulness. Um, and so, again, we go. I think for, for me, that, that, that allows us to go kind of completely absent of two spectrums. We go completely absent of pride and arrogance and feeling like this is our accomplishment, that we, again, are, are equipped enough or good enough or worthy enough or we deserve or are entitled to things. So we're completely absent of pride because this is only the love and grace of God that accomplishes these things in and through us. And it is a blessing and a gift that we're even in this picture, right? I mean, to David's word, you know, who are we that you would think of us? And so you're absent of pride, but you're absent of fear. You're absent, not that it's not scary, not that it's not hard, but we go knowing that the sovereign, holy, all-powerful creator of the universe goes with us and has called us into this. And so there's no room for pride. There's no room for, um, you know, paralyzing fear or paralyzing uh, faithlessness because, again, it's, it's not about us. This work doesn't stand on our shoulders. It stands on his and his alone, and, and it's in his hands. And he is infinitely large enough to carry it and accomplish it the way he wants it to be accomplished and, and in his wisdom and grace. That's, that's very good. I just summarized that application there that Josh was saying by saying no pride and no fear because it's all about God's grace. But if we really understand God's grace, it's going to kill pride and it's going to kill fear. There's going to be a boldness and a humility that go hand in hand. Um, let's do, if you, if you all got one more that you want to throw out, and then Josh, I know you shared a couple things with me when we were walking through this that I want to make sure we leave enough time. Because the last thing we're going to do, just so you know, in a minute, Selena's going to go and grab their kids and we're going to pray over them as a family before we worship together again. But do you have one more truth that was really jumping out at you that you want to share right here? Yeah. Do you have a, a passage or anything that kind of led you to that or stood out? We get, we're on it right now. We'll just pull it up there. It's verse 23 right here. Right here. You quoted it word for word. Perfect. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, that, that's Barnabas, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. That is, that's the effect of when we're really encountering grace. Like when we really like see what grace is and are exposed to grace and grace is doing its work in our hearts, it, it keeps pulling our hearts more and more toward Jesus. You want to say anything else? There? Yeah, I was just going to echo that, that, that I know we've experienced a bit of that. Um, and not that like we're now immune to, to that pull, but there's such an easy pull uh, to give our hearts to other things. And, and a lot of, like, morally neutral things, um, but things that, you know, things that are great gifts of God, but they're terrible gods. They're terrible things to worship, and they're terrible things to build our life on. Um, but our heart 
in its brokenness is so inclined to do that. And I know that's, that's our story. And again, in God's grace and goodness, he has stripped us away from the false sense of comfort and security that we think we have um, because we, you know, maybe have a, a, a normal routine or we have, you know, a certain salary or, or a certain stability at, at work or at home or, or whatever that might be. And, and so, yeah, just to your point, I mean, to know that he is, the, he is the object of our affection. He is the one our hearts must be set on. And to, to just pray unceasingly that he would hold us in that position. Because we're so, if we're going to drift, we're going to drift back towards, you know, wanting the things of the world. We don't, I, I would say we don't drift in neutral towards God. We drift to the world. And so just pray that he would hold us there and that he would, um, in his love and grace, continue to help us pursue him. Yeah, I mean, ever since the fall, like we are naturally bent the wrong way now. And if we just go the way we're naturally bent, it's away from God, it's toward self, toward the world. And it takes a supernatural spiritual work of God's grace to keep straightening us back out and pulling us toward him. And I think we hear right here, one of the things that I, I really hope that you all will, will have a desire to connect with Josh and Selena and, and, and pray for them and partner with them. And, and you know, we'll have ongoing communication with them for years and that we can be one of these churches, just like the church in Antioch was with Paul and Barnabas. We can be one of these churches supporting them. But I think just a, a first prayer request that you could pray for me, for our elders, for our whole staff, for everybody that teaches here, for yourself, everybody that goes here. But certainly today, like, that you can just start one way to pray for them is that God will just keep moving their hearts toward him and that they would remain true to him with all their hearts. That all the things in the world and all the normal things, like, like grandparents crying at dinner because they know, hey, we got the countdown of how many days the grandkids are going to live here. I mean, that's, like, that's just real life, right? And it's hard. And it's hard emotionally. And it's hard relationally. And that you would just pray that, that Jesus would be the comfort for them and for grandparents for, you know, for the whole family, for friends during this time, that Jesus would be a comfort for them, but also that Jesus would be the treasure, that he would be worth it, that following him and knowing him and making him known, that there would be a joy that's greater than all that. So whatever the hardest thing is, that Jesus is, is enough. And whatever the best things are, that Jesus is even better. And that that would just really resonate in their hearts. And so and that, that we would pray for God to give them that grace. Do you want to say anything else along those lines? or? Yeah, well, one thing that, that I was standing out to me as well, it's in chapter 13, verse 2, and it, it goes back to, I think, what we were just talking about, about the work of God. But you see in verse 2 of 13, right, it is the Holy Spirit who comes and says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So again, this is not, you know, this is not Saul and Barnabas um, necessarily stepping out into to some man-made plan or wisdom, but this is the Holy Spirit saying, no, come follow what I'm calling you to do. And in our stories, in, in your story, that's why as the Spirit calls and, and leads and guides us again, that we go with confidence and with dependence and with trust because it's not, again, I just echo this, it's not about us. It's not about our what we bring, it's not of our ability. It's not even about necessarily our desires or our fears or any of that, but it's about, again, it's God 
through his spirit working in us in the grace of his son that equips us, that builds us, that strengthens us, that gives us wisdom, gives us peace. It gives us the words to say, uh, the steps to take. It gives us the, the wise strategies and plans. Like it's completely him because it's his work and he's just calling us to step into it. And so I encourage that as well. Um, I mean, I've got a few more things, so I'll try to be really yeah, so, succinct um, with it. I'm sure you're going to do chapter eight, yeah, you know, but that's that. awesome. But I just, I just want to say this real quick. When we were talking beforehand, I was like, I want you to feel free to share with us whatever God's leading you to share. You know, when we get close to the end, we'll kind of give Selena the five-minute warning to bring the kids in. And he said, I just want you to know, he said, it won't be as long as an Andy five minutes. It's funny when you get up here how that changes sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> now, you give us what you got, man. Like we, yeah. we need to hear it. We want to hear it. And so no, there's no rush at all. Um, your kids are here, and so they're welcome to come up here and be crazy if they want. Yeah, so this will um, just be a quick contrast of, of kind of where we, we maybe opened up about God using anyone and everyone, and, and that's so true. But I think you even see, you know, you talk about what's going on at the beginning of chapter 8, right? Saul is persecuting and murdering the church. Like, his evil sets this whole thing in motion. And then we get to the end, and you kind of bookend it on the front and the back, and Saul is the one going now out of Antioch to take the gospel to, to the world and, and to the nations, right? And so even, so in contrast to re- the reality that God, you know, uses everyday no-name Christians like Selena and myself, even the people that we would tag as like the names, the, the big names, the Peters, the Moseses, the Davids, the, the Pauls or the Sauls, they weren't big name Christians when God chose to call them out of their sin, to transform and redeem their lives, and to send them out to do his work. Moses is a murderer. Uh, David's an adulterer. You know, Peter is notoriously hot-headed and probably prone to pride. Uh, Saul was Saul, right? But again, none of that matters whenever God, in his grace, takes hold of our hearts and, and decides that he wants to call us unto himself and use us. And so I just encourage, you know, and that's us. Like, we have a history with habitual sin. Again, I have a history of running away from this calling for many months and years. And so whatever it might be that, that you know, you, you want to convince yourself of why you can't be obedient to this, why God wouldn't use you for, for any, you know, one mission or purpose, um, it's not about you. And, and he is the God who does this very thing. It's all through the Bible. And so trust that. Submit to that, that regardless of maybe, you know, what your, your, you feel like your weaknesses are, your fears are, your inabilities are, just let go of them and know that God overcomes all of it whenever he calls you to be faithful. And again, it's his work, it's his calling, and he will give you all that you need. Um. All right, two more really quick that I'd like to call out. So one of the things that I think is, is really unique about the beginning of chapter 8 is, you know, we talk about this a lot, but the way this all started, right, it starts through persecution. That, you know, through the, the murdering of Stephen and the work of Saul, you know, the church undergoes this in, just probably unimaginable persecution and evil 
that ultimately fulfills the work and mission of God. And so, and that's, you know, we have a little bit of that as well, that God calls us into faithfulness and obedience through incredibly unexpected means. They're not the things that we would draw up. They're not in human logic and human wisdom. They're not going to look like the big red billboard that says, hey, here's your path, right? Here's your nice, clear, easy road to what I'm leading you to. But, but God works in ways that we would never expect. And I, I'm sensitive to the fact that I think a lot of times we miss what he's trying and wants to do with us and in our lives because it doesn't look the way we expect it to look or the way we think it should look. And, you know, Selena alluded to this a little bit. When we went on our first mission trip to Belize, um, we had, we had already committed to going, but we found out between that commitment and actually leaving, we were expecting our first child. So Selena's six months pregnant whenever we are in Belize. Leading up to that, we have conversations with doctors about viruses and Zika and all these things, and, and we didn't have a single doctor tell us it was a good idea to go. <laughs> <clears throat> Most of them were very discouraging of that. You, you, we got on the ground, and Selena's sister had her car accident, and that you know was just, again, all these things that... Um, from a human perspective, were incredible reasons of why we should back away from this. Like, this is not going well. This is not what we envisioned. It's not what we thought it was going to be. But no, in every one of those steps and every one of those things, God met us, and God provided what we needed. And God not only did that, he broke us into an even deeper dependence on him and trust in him and knowing that his power and his strength and his joy and his peace were the only things that were going to get us through and the only things that were going to allow us to continue to walk faithfully into what he was asking of us. Um, and so again, just from that worldly perspective, it, it doesn't always make sense. It, it doesn't always look like the way we think it should look, but that's how God works a lot of times. And, you know, even now, um, you know, we're walking away from a pretty comfortable life. Uh, we both have six-figure salaries. We have young kids. And I don't say all that to, like, look at what we're sacrificing. But I say that to say that when God calls you to be faithful to his purpose and his plan, all the things you feel like you're letting go of or all the, again, the, maybe the, the human worldly things that, that the world would say, why would you give that up? Why would you do that? You know, that, that doesn't make any sense. He's going to provide everything you need, and he's going to provide it more beautifully and abundantly and wisely than you ever could. And so just emphasizing that, that when God is calling us and leading us into these things and it doesn't look or expect or make sense to the world or make sense even to us, um, that we can trust him because he's wiser and he's better and he's greater um, than anything we could ever imagine. You know, and he gives, you know, Ephesians 3, he gives far beyond what we can expect or imagine. Um, all right, the last thing. Going back to chapter 13, our very last verse. Chapter 13, verse 3. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands upon them and they sent them out. And so because of everything I think we've outlined today, I, I want to emphasize that we have to be, and we ask you to be in prayer for us, that 
this work because it is in the hands of God and it's on, you know, it's his, um, it's his doing. Uh, nothing, again, nothing that Selena and I do has the power or the wisdom to accomplish anything apart from the working of God in and through us. And so we have to pray, you have to pray, and we would just plead with you, you know, that that is at the center of everything that we do as the church. Um, you know, I've heard, I think, Andy even say something along these lines that, you know, our heart for the mission and the work of God to be fulfilled and for his glory to be maximized is going to be directly reflected by how we are praying for him to do it. Because nothing else we do will matter apart from that. And, and not only, you know, prayer for, I, I would ask prayer for the work of God to be fulfilled, but also for us and our family in our own abiding in him. Because, again, apart from that, you know, John 15, 5 says we can do nothing apart from our abiding in him. Um, and that's true for all of us, right? So uh, just that we would be completely um, abided and surrendered and submitted to Christ through faithful pursuit of him in the word and in prayer. Um, and that you guys would join us in that as well. So just, yeah. Prayer is, prayer is, that's our hope. Yeah. Right, it's what we, we stand on. And, and so we're going to do that here in just a second. I'm going to have them come down here. And I know some of you know them. Hopefully all of you to a certain extent feel like you know them now. So those of you that feel led, we're going to come and lay hands on them. I'm going to give you some time to pray silently or out loud, however you feel led. We're not going to rush this thing. And then I'll close this in a minute. And I do want to say one thing about the local churches supporting and praying for missionaries as, as they're sent, called and then sent out and they go. You know, this, this section that Josh picked to show us today, you've got these churches starting in Antioch. And here, Ju the church in Jerusalem is like, this is good news, what God's doing in Antioch. So they send Barnabas, you know, a local church takes one of their best guys. Like Barnabas, by the way, is the guy that sells his land and gives all the money to the church. You know, this isn't like, well, you know, Barnabas shows up once a month. We can, we can spare him. This is, Barnabas bankrolls our church, and we're sending the best guy. I mean, seriously. Like, let's be real about this. Like, we're not sending our riffraff. We're sending the best because this is what matters. It's not about the church in Jerusalem. It's about the kingdom of God and the mission of Jesus. So we're sending our best. Because that's what's what we want. Like, we're not keeping him for us. We're not hoarding him. And then Barnabas goes and grabs Saul. They go to Antioch. They teach there for a year. Now you got the guy that writes 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament, right? Like premier theologian, teacher, preacher, and Barnabas, the bankroller. There, you'd think Antioch would be like, hey, we are set up to grow into a megachurch. We got the teacher. We got the money. What do they do? Out of everybody they got, they send those two. Like they send them to keep making Jesus known. But see, the, we go and we connect with the local church in Antioch. And that local church sends us to plant more local churches. And so you know, Josh and Selena are members at the journey right now. And, and God has worked through their time there to connect them with Rome. I, I don't know how to say this. We don't care. I don't care where their members are. Like, these are our people, part of Jesus' kingdom. And we love them and we support them and we pray for them. And we're as partnered with the journey as we are any other church in the world. I'm so grateful that God's working through other local churches that way. And that we could be part. And like, we're not trying to keep anybody for us. 
right? And I'm glad they're not trying to keep people for them. We want people to know Jesus, and we want the church to be built. And so that's why we're doing this, and I just want you to see God's work in their lives. And I want us to be one of these local churches. It's like, we don't want to hoard people. We don't want to hoard resources. This isn't for us. This isn't about. How, how can we pour out more? How can we go more? How can we send more? How can we give more? Like, how can we be a part of the church and the kingdom and not just this church and this kingdom? So I, I, it's so obvious in this text that we'll miss it if we don't see that. But then what they do, you know, they go to, they're mis- Barnabas and Saul are missionaries to Antioch, but they connect with a local church there. And then that local church sends them out. And I just wanted to, that last part of their story. Josh and Selena are connected already to a local church in Rome via those missionaries that God sent here. Like God knew what he was doing. Right? And, and they're going to go, and they're going to be part of that. We're sending them to another local church, a local church that then is going to send them out from there to plant more churches. It couldn't look more like Acts 13. And that's just awesome. Like, uh, so I was going to ask, just from the purpose you Put your mic down. Right. <laughs> You're all right. <laughs> from the purpose of, yeah, if anyone would like to stay connected. Um, oh, I'll write I'll say, up. write down my email. Yeah. And then, yeah, uh, please... Email us, connect with us. Um, we're going to send out newsletters and different things like that. Again, we would just deeply, deeply be gracious and thankful for your prayer um, and encouragement even. Um, so it's J-E, Joshua Edward, yep, Brown, 2012 at Gmail. It's like the one thing that i got to write clear so you all can see it. Yeah. Can you read this? J-E, Brown, 2012 at gmail.com. Are you all on, Selena, you're on Instagram, Facebook, is that right? Yeah, you can find Selena on Instagram too. Are you same. on it? Yeah, same. It's just, just ways for you to connect with them. They're both on Instagram. Um, and they're going to they're gonna stand around for a few minutes here after, whether in here or out there, if you want to chat with them and stuff. But let's pray for them right now. Um, and then when we finish this prayer time, some of our staff, elders, wives will stay down here, and, and Keith and the worship team are going to lead us in a couple more songs to worship as well. But if you need prayer, want to pray with somebody, want to talk to somebody about following Jesus for the very first time or what he's doing in your life, we'll be down here for that as well. But yeah, you guys come on down here. Let's all stand for this prayer time. But if some of you want to come and place hands on them, pray over them. Um, and again... We're not going to rush this, so you pray as you feel led. And I'll close this out in a few minutes. And guys, I just want you to know that I'm so thankful for Jesus' work in your lives and that we love you all. Um, And thank you so much for being here today and sharing with us. It's a much bigger thing for us even than it is for you all. All right, you all just pray as you want. You all be praying.
Father, I thank you again for Josh and Selena, for their boys, for your call on their lives. I thank you for your patience and faithfulness and persistence in reaching us with the gospel. That what Josh shared with us this morning, that it took 1,700 years for the gospel to get to Tennessee. But you sent people who sent people who sent people who sent people who sent people. And you kept coming for us. Thank you for getting us. And I pray that our hearts will be moved that this is your work and your mission in the world. And that that won't stop with us. That it'll flow through us and from us. Both right here in Wilson County and Davidson County with the people that you bring into our lives. That we would make disciples. That we would point each other to Jesus. That we would keep encouraging one another by the grace of God to love Jesus with our whole hearts. And so thank you for letting us be part of that and thank you for letting us be part of it with Josh and Selena now. And so I just pray for them, Father, for all the practical things that are going to go on in their life in the next six months. Quitting jobs and wrapping that up well. Selling a house. Selling everything they own. Times of training and preparation, goodbyes with family and friends, the move. Father, will you please oversee all of that by your grace? Open doors, walk them one step at a time. I pray that you'll give them a deep, deep sense and awareness of your presence with them, your grace for them, your love for them, and your provision and faithfulness. And then most of all, Father, I pray, just like we saw in Acts 13 today, that you will fill them with your Holy Spirit and you will use them for the work to which you've called them. I pray for disciples to be made, for Jesus to be made known in Rome, in Italy, and from there to the ends of the earth again, all over again, like you have done over and over throughout history. And so, Father, I pray that you will bring people into their lives, connections, open doors, that churches will be planted and disciples will be made by your gospel, by your grace, for your glory. Father, we pray knowing this is a spiritual work and there's going to be spiritual battle. And so we ask that you give every spiritual resource in the name of Jesus, the strength and the power and the grace and the provision and everything they need. And help us, Father, help us to be a church that is faithful to your mission, that loves and supports them and prays for them in the way that you've called us to. We thank you. I thank you so much that it is your work and it's by your grace and that that is our confidence and our hope. Let us see it. Father, let us see it again in great ways in Josh and Selena's life. It's in Jesus' name that we ask all of this. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely.